Praise be Jesus Christ. Peace be with all of you. And welcome back after a year-long hiatus of this podcast. Um, yeah, it's January 10th, 2020, beginning of a new year of the Lord's grace and mercy as I speak to you right now. Uh, a couple housekeeping notes before we get started. First of all, you will notice that the name of the podcast has now changed. What used to be called The Morning Walk has now been given a new name, <laughs> and the new name is In Your Embrace. Of course, this is a new name for the podcast. It's not a new name um, to me. It's been the name of my blog for a number of years now. Actually, since I began college seminary, I've had a blog, inyourembrace.com. So I've moved the name from the blog now over to the podcast. They both share the same name. You can access them both on the same website, inyourembrace.com. Or if you can't now, you will be able to soon once I get everything up and running, hopefully this weekend. The new name um, is for a couple reasons. For one, as you will know if you've been a longtime listener, I have not often been recording these podcasts during a morning walk <laughs> ever since I left Mount Angel, really, after my fourth year of college there, Mount Angel Seminary, because during my fourth year when I began the podcast, I had a free, um, I believe a free hour every day of the week at a certain hour in the morning. And so I was using that hour to go for a walk every day. And one day I would record my podcast during the walk and it worked very nicely. Well, since leaving Mount Angel, my schedule has become more convoluted and my life is very busy and things are unpredictable. And, uh, at least last semester I didn't have, I didn't have an hour like that anytime during the week that would consistently be free. This semester, maybe. I don't know what my schedule is yet. I'll find out soon enough. Um, actually, as I'm recording this podcast right now, if it's a bit noisy, it's because I'm in the process of driving back to St. Patrick's Seminary, where on Monday I will begin my spring semester um, of second theology. So, But anyway, um, because I haven't had that free time to consistently to, to walk... <laughs> I've been wanting for a while to rename the podcast. So I've taken the name In Your Embrace, and it's a, it's a very uh, special name to me, which is why I've kept it all these years. It, it bespeaks in a way, and I don't want to be too sentimental about this, but it, it, it does bespeak in a way, the way that I hope to be living my entire life. Um, and when you hear In Your Embrace, I want you to think of the embrace of God's mercy. The embrace of God is simply His mercy reaching out to us. His mercy. Mercy is the love of God that, that, that goes out of Him to the one who is miserable. That's literally what the word mercy means. And so, for us poor human creatures, we're very often miserable. We make ourselves miserable. <laughs> and we're suffering in this world, in this veil of tears. We suffer many things. But God's love, His mercy reaches out to us. It's always there reaching out to us. And if we are, are cognizant of the reality of God's mercy, if we're aware of His presence, we're aware of His love in every situation, 
in every concrete circumstance of our life, then we are truly living in His embrace. And so that's, that's my ideal. That's how I hope to live my life. That's how I hope to lead by my example. And furthermore, it expresses my hope for this podcast. I really hope that when you listen to these podcast episodes that I will be creating, that um, you know each, each episode becomes a kind of a, an encounter with the Lord. Um, you could say like a little retreat that you and I are going on together for half an hour or an hour. A little opportunity to encounter the love and the mercy of God and to, uh, and to, to, to learn a little bit more hopefully about Him and to be reawakened to His presence in your own life. That's my hope. Some of you have expressed similar things to me like that before about um, your experience of listening to this podcast. So I hope to do more of that this year and to continue in that vein. And the name In Your Embrace, I think it makes it a little bit clearer than the morning walk exactly what is my, my intent. So this year, 2020, I am going to recommit to producing an episode every week. I hope to be able to do that all year long. Um, probably on Fridays. Again, I don't fully know my schedule yet, but um, Fridays for us at St. Patrick's Seminary are a day of recollection and a day of prayer and study. So there's no classes on Fridays. My schedule is still usually managed to be pretty packed, but um, if I'm going to have any day during the week that will work for this, Fridays most likely. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I will try to release a new episode every week on Fridays. And I am also going to try to be um, a little bit more organized in what I present in these podcasts. It, it won't just be kind of a download of all my random thoughts from the week or whatever I happen to you know, be experiencing or whatever. Um, there will still be that portion. I, I know some of you who listen, um, you enjoy that. And I enjoy, of course, talking about my life a little bit. So I will that'll still be part of the podcast. But I will also have um, certain regular segments each week and I'm sort of excited about this so one will be on the topic of theology surprise surprise which is often much of what I talk about anyway but now it will be in its own distinct section of the of the show and I'm creating some I think they're called jingles some little like transition uh, uh, sounds to signal the new segments so guys I'm doing some work on this you know I hope you like it <laughs> but uh, I'll have the theology section where each week I will plan to present a little something that I've learned that week, something that I'm studying at that moment, or something that's come up in my reading, or it's come up perhaps in my prayer that I would like to share with you. And um, I, that will also be a segment whereby I can answer certain questions. Maybe if you guys who are listening, if you want to submit a question or send in a voice message, um, I, I can share it in that segment and I can respond to it or build on it. Then another segment... Um, this year I, I've made two resolutions okay one of them I will talk about a little bit later on in this episode the other one is I have decided to read the complete works of Sir William Shakespeare during the year 2020 uh, a tall order to be sure but you know I have a schedule for it it's a schedule that someone else produced I found it on the internet and um, I will be following this schedule throughout 2020 it gives me I believe um, maybe like eight days uh, per Shakespearean work, so not a lot of time, but we, you know, we'll just see how it goes. I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. So we'll see how this goes. Um, <laughs> so far, I've read Twelfth Night, 
and I am just about, well, I've just begun, really, reading um, Henry IV. I'm about one act in to Henry IV, part one. So uh, another segment on the show throughout the year, every week, there'll be a segment on Shakespeare. And in that segment, I will just talk a little bit about what I'm reading, what play I'm reading, and any thoughts I have about it. Uh, you know, so, and, and perhaps as the year goes on, there might be other segments too that I will add. But so far, that's basically what I've got. Kind of my life update, theology, some topic, and then Shakespeare. And uh, well, we'll see how it goes. So I'm excited about this. To continue um, conversing with you and, uh, and, and sharing, celebrating with, really celebrating God's love and God's mercy with you. And hopefully sharing with you a little taste of how he's been present to me in my life. And um, helping you to be, to be present to him in your own life as well. That's my hope. Okay, oh, one other small housekeeping note is as I was um, like setting up my settings for this podcast and um, you know changing the name, putting in the new cover artwork and everything, I discovered in the archives of the podcast a episode from this time last year, from one year ago today, which I had never released publicly. Um, and I, it's unedited, I've never released it, published it. But I recorded it last year on the last day of my silent retreat which today, January 10th, I've just finished this year's silent retreat. And you may know, um, us seminarians, at the beginning of the new year, we always have a five-day silent retreat to begin our spring semester, to begin the new year with a period of self-reflection, discernment, listening to the voice of the Lord, resting in His love, a time of renewal and of, of recollection, and, and so on. So I discovered this podcast, and I'd recorded it. And again, it is unedited, okay, it's a bit rough around the edges, it's a short little thing, about th around 30 minutes. Um, and so I listened to it last night. And uh, I just, I've just decided I'm going to share it because it might be helpful for some people. Um, so I, I'm just putting it out there. So when you look at your podcast app, you know, you'll see this episode from today, episode 17, entitled Pick Up the Munira. This is the newest episode. But you'll also see another new episode, apparently, dated one year ago today. And so if you're wondering if you're going crazy, you're not. That episode really is from a year ago, but, but it is also new. I've just released it. I've just published it. And so if you, if you desire to, you can go back and listen to that. And you'll hear from that episode where I was spiritually um, one year ago. And then in the remainder of this episode, I'll be talking about some of the fruits from my silent retreat this year. Now, I'm not going to recap the entire year, <laughs> so be not afraid. As I mentioned, I've been on a year-long hiatus from this podcast. It was not a, a planned hiatus, you know. I didn't, um, I didn't expect to take this long away from the podcast. My life really just became rather busy, and so um, I, 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 I let it go to the wayside. Over the course of the year, um, I'll just... Without going into detail, I'll just mention briefly, I um, finished Theology 1. I had a wonderful first year at St. Patrick's. I spent much of the summer abroad. I was on a special summer program for American seminarians in Rome with 26 other guys from around the U.S. Um, we had a, a retreat in May at the town of Ars, France, where lived St. John Vianney, the patron saint of all parish priests, which was very powerful. 
Then we spent six weeks in Rome taking classes at Santa Croce University, the University of the Holy Cross, living in a residence on the Janiculum Hill overlooking St. Peter's Square. We'd open our door in the morning and we'd be at eye level with the dome of the basilica, you know. It was, it was really something else. It was a huge grace. And I made some amazing friendships with guys from uh, other dioceses around the United States during that, that um, program, the Rome experience, it's called. So that was a huge blessing. Um, I spent some time at home, had a lot of challenges, uh, new, new circumstances arising in my life, in my family, in my home parish, um, in our seminary. You know, a lot of changes. Our, our rector died this summer. God, God rest his soul. In fact, um, may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. So we have a new rector, um, a lot of new faculty. It's just been a lot, a lot of changes. And a lot of opportunities the Lord's been giving me to trust in Him. I mean that very sincerely. Especially this summer, He was teaching me a lot of good lessons about trust. About trust. And there was one uh, one day when I was in St. Peter's Basilica making a holy hour. And I was, um, I don't remember now, but I had, I had lost my peace over something. I don't know what was going on with the group that I was with or if it was just... I was having an off day or I don't know what, but I was kind of feeling down and I was, I was in St. Peter's and I was praying and the Lord spoke to me there so clearly. He said, Matthew, you make yourself miserable by looking at yourself too much. <laughs> and the image I had is like of, uh, you know, St. Augustine says the image of man after the fall is homo incurvatus in se man walking around, curved in on himself, bent over, like looking at his own feet, instead of standing upright and gazing out at the world and up at God, at the heavens. So I kind of had that image of being bent over, looking at myself, gazing at myself. The Lord said, you make yourself miserable by looking at yourself, so stop, just look at me. And, um, at that moment, I really did. I mean, I, I, I had my head bowed, and I opened my eyes and looked up at, if you've been in St. Peter's, this is that side chapel where the Blessed Sacrament is reserved for private, quiet prayer. And there's this beautiful altar, and, and I just looked up and I gazed in silence at the Lord for the remainder of my time. And that lesson, there were other lessons, in fact, many lessons in trust, too many to enumerate, that I received this year. That one in particular stayed with me all summer long and into the fall, and even now. But each time I would receive a new lesson from the Lord in the area of trust, I would also, it seems, be given a new circumstance, a new challenge, a trial, a crisis, in which to put it into practice right away. You know, and this is, you, you guys probably have all had this experience, this is the way the Lord operates with us very often. You know, they say, take care when you pray for patience because uh, the Lord's going to give you trials, right? To practice. Well, likewise with trust. When the Lord gives us lessons on trust, He'll also give us the opportunity to practice, to make acts of trust. And of course, it comes to our free will. That's the beautiful thing and the terrifying thing. We always have the choice whether or not to trust God. And by His grace... Praise God, I've been able to trust Him 
very often this year. In fact, more, I think, than I ever have in my life. Which is really, it's really beautiful. You know, as we grow and, and we mature, we advance in the life of grace and our spiritual lives. Also, our capacities increase, don't they? Our, um, our capacity for, for love, our capacity for trust, it increases. And now, I mean, you know, I, I'm different than I was even a year ago when I recorded this last episode. I'm different than I was when I was a Carmelite. I'm different than I was when I first entered seminary. I'm different than when I converted and when I became Catholic. And this is the beauty of our, of our, of our life. This is the beauty of the gift of time which God gives us. Huh? With time, our capacities increase. As we become older and more mature in the life of grace, we can trust God more than we could before. And what a grace indeed that is. There's nothing more beautiful than trusting in the Lord. It's the source of all of our peace. It's, this, it's, it's the greatest delight of the life of us poor human creatures to trust in our God, to trust in our Father. Also, um, so after that summer program in Rome, I was home for a while, then I began Theology 2 at St. Patrick's this fall. Um, then I was home again for Christmas break recently, and now, as I said, as we speak, I'm driving on Highway 1, um, returning from our silent retreat this week to go back for my spring semester of Theology 2 at St. Patrick's, after which I will be um, going on a, a, what's called a pastoral year that will begin um, after this summer. I don't know what I'll be doing over the summer yet, but beginning in the fall rather than being in school, as I have been for six years, I will spend a whole year in a parish in my Archdiocese of Portland, uh, working with a pastor, kind of shadowing him, sort of like a doctor's residency, I think, um, working with the pastor, experiencing what the parish life is like for an entire year. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know where I'll be or, or, or with whom I, I will be assigned or anything except that it'll be somewhere in Western Oregon. And I pray it'll be with a good pastor because I really want to learn. But um, I'll do that. Following that year, I'll do my third year of theology back here at St. Patrick's, at the end of which I will be ordained as a deacon. And after that, a fourth year of theology as a deacon, at the end of which, pray God, I will be ordained as his priest. And so, guys, things are kind of coming to a head. I mean, things are coming to their conclusion. And it's not right around the corner. It's not like I'll be a priest next month or something. But, you know, um, things are moving quickly. I remember when I was a, a lowly college seminarian and looking up to guys who were at the level where I am now. And they would tell me, once you reach your pastoral year, things go fast. And before you know it, you're ordained. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaning into that reality. Time is flying by. And um, now is the acceptable time. That's been really the theme of this year for me. Now is the acceptable time. As our Lord said through the prophet Isaiah, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. If not now, then when? Now is the time to acquire great virtues. Now is the time to make great strides in holiness. Now is the time to learn what it is to be a father. If not now, then when? Because before... I know it, I'm going to be standing at the altar, sacrificing myself for the people of God. 
pouring myself out on their behalf. And so, guys, it's very fitting that I'm, I'm speaking right now, coming off of this five-day silent retreat, which we just had on the topic of spiritual fatherhood. Um, a topic, as you can imagine, is very near to my own heart. Spiritual fatherhood, which I will say by way of introduction to the topic, is true fatherhood. Um, and as evidence for that, we can look to the fact that the church holds up before us as the model of all fatherhood, and indeed the patron saint of all fathers, St. Joseph, who, if you think about it for a moment, St. Joseph, uh, he was not biologically the father of Jesus. St. Joseph was, nevertheless, though, he, he was Jesus' true father, which is why it's totally incorrect to call him Jesus' foster father. Some people do that, thinking perhaps that they're being quite pious, and they're preserving, you know, um, the reality that Jesus is the Son of God and God is His only Father. Well, yes, in the order of generation. God is... Jesus Jesus has only one Father, God the Father, in the order of generation. But Joseph is Jesus' true Father. He's His spiritual Father. And how do we know that He's His true Father? Well, St. Joseph raised Jesus. St. Joseph, you know, who taught Jesus to pray? Obviously, our Blessed Mother. Also, St. Joseph. Joseph would have taught him his prayers in Hebrew. Joseph uh, taught him his trade. He taught him to work with his hands. He taught him how to live in the world. He taught him the Jewish laws, the laws of the Torah. He taught him how to conduct himself as a man, how to live a good and upright and holy life. Which is why the Gospel, I believe, of St. Luke, I think it's Luke, but at any rate, either it's either Luke or Matthew, one of the synoptics, we'll just say the gospel that's why the gospel says Jesus learned obedience as a man he learned obedience who did he learn it from? his father St. Joseph after the, his parents found him in the temple when they'd taken him up to Jerusalem as a boy around 12 years old for the celebration of the Passover then Jesus stayed behind in the temple and his parents left and they realized later he wasn't with them and had to go back and search Jerusalem for three days to find the kid and they found him in the temple and uh, you know this famous scene of the finding of the temple we prayed in the rosary a couple times a week but um, the gospel says interestingly after that encounter Jesus went down with them again to Nazareth and was obedient to them so Joseph is his true father Jesus was obedient to him as a father and Joseph provided for the Holy Family, for Jesus and Mary. He defended them. He guarded them. He took them into Egypt when their lives were threatened. He poured himself out for them, for, 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 for their sake, in love for them. And when Jesus became a man and began his public ministry, then Joseph quietly faded away into the background, and we hear nothing more from him again in the Gospels. This is the patron of all fathers. Not a biological father at all, spiritual father, yet a true father nonetheless for that. So spiritual fatherhood, the spiritual fatherhood of a priest is true fatherhood. The priest, you know, this is one thing I, I take away from this retreat, and it's consoling. Those of us who are called to be priests, we're not missing out on anything. And sometimes um, the laity, well, sometimes even we ourselves can like get a little bit uh, down about not having a family, um, you know, we, and we, and it's, it's, we have to walk a fine line with how we speak about it, because it's true, we're making a sacrifice. We're not marrying, 
So we're sacrificing a life of intimacy with a wife and having children of our own, biological children. But when I say we're not missing out on anything, what I mean is we're not losing any hap- there's no <laughs> There's no happiness that God could be giving us. There's no greater joy He could be giving us than what He gives in the life of a priest. For those who are called in this life, it is our greatest joy and our greatest delight and the fulfillment of all the desires of our hearts. Because just like all human men, we desire, of course, intimacy. We desire to have progeny, to have children of our own. But God truly fulfills those desires through this vocation and through our life of sacrifice. The priest bears spiritual children. He does. How? Well, principally through the sacrament of baptism. The priest baptizes children, which is why uh, Father Greg, this wonderful old priest who gave us this retreat, he was our retreat master, and he said he'll always tell young couples when they come to have their kids baptized, he'll say, this little guy, he's going to call you father and mother for 70 or 80 years, but I get to be his father for eternity. <laughs> Which struck me, it's, you know, it's kind of a bold thing to say, right? But yeah, if you're as funny and as, as charming as Father Greg, you can get away with it. He's kind of a Bishop Fulton Sheen kind of a guy. He's that same spirit. But you know, it's true. The priest, when he goes to its reward, he'll be welcomed into heaven by the ranks of all of his spiritual children, all the children that he has begotten for God through the sacrament of baptism. And then, not only through the sacraments, we can speak also about the other sacraments, by the way. For example, um, the priest exercises spiritual fatherhood he, he, through feeding his children through the Blessed Eucharist. and He, as a father, cares for his children when they're sick. The priest cares for the sick through the sacrament of anointing, and so on and so on. But beyond the sacraments, the priest also exercises spiritual fatherhood through his ministry of teaching and preaching. Just as a, a father of a child, like, like St. Joseph taught Jesus how to live in the world, taught him his, a trade, and his prayers, and so on. It's the role of a priest, a spiritual father, to teach his people the laws of God and how to live a Christian life, how to live a life that will truly lead to joy and to peace in this world and in the next. And then finally, the priest exercises spiritual fatherhood through governance, through, we could say, rightly ordering his household, the household of God, the little um, corner of his kingdom, which God entrusts to a certain priest. Well, just as a father, a, a head of a household, orders his household, he imposes right order, he imposes discipline and rule. And sometimes those words can kind of strike a... a, a dissonant chord in us and they make us recoil but this is a good thing God as as king of the universe ruler of the universe he imposes order God is the one who sets everything in right order from the beginning of creation and part of our role as creatures is to uh, to share in God's ordering of all things as human men and women we are we are the crown of God's creation and so we participate in God's ordering of all the rest of creation. And uh, particularly the father in a family and the priest in a parish. We, we have that role of ordering, rightly ordering all things in line with God's ordering of the universe. So these three areas that I've spoken about, the sacraments, 
uh, preaching and teaching, and then ordering or governance. The tradition of the church calls these the three munera of the priest. Munera is a Latin word. Uh, munera is the plural. The singular is munus. And the word it has a variety of related meanings, um, which are very interesting. It could mean um, kind of a burden that someone carries. It could mean uh, an obligation or a duty. Munus could mean an office. Not like a, a room in your house, but office, like the office of mayor or the office of president, uh, a role for the sake of the greater community. It could also mean a gift. And so in the divine office this week, the week after Epiphany, um, every single day we've been praying an antiphon, which begins by saying, Tria sunt munera preciosa, que obtulerunt magi domino, which means... Three were the precious gifts, the precious munera, which the Magi brought to the Lord. Of course, myrrh, frankincense, and gold. And so, that notion of gift is important. These three areas of priestly life, of priestly spiritual fatherhood, they're gifts given us by God. All fatherhood is a share in God's divine paternity. Whether biological or spiritual, we share, it's a gift that God gives us, that he allows us to share in his supreme paternity, right? So God gives his priests these gifts. He gives us also, in giving the gifts, he gives us an obligation and a duty, a solemn duty, and an office, which brings with it a, a dignity, but also a grave responsibility, which the priest must always keep before his eyes. His responsibility is to his people, the people, the, the spiritual children whom God is entrusting to his care. And this is the deepest reality of spiritual fatherhood. It's you, you no longer live for yourself. When you're a father, <laughs> fatherhood is incompatible with bachelorhood. A bachelor only cares about himself when you get right down to it. But not so with a spiritual father, just like a biological father. You can no longer afford to be a bachelor. Everything about you, your life, your passions, your energies, your time, your talents, your treasures, everything you've got, everything you have and are is directed toward these others who are entrusted to your care. Which is why Pope Benedict says, if I've got the quote right, I think I do. Pope Benedict says that fatherhood is primarily concerned with the life and governance of an, sorry, not governance, the life well, that's part of it too. But the quote is, <laughs> fatherhood is primarily concerned with the life and growth of another. Not with myself. I'm no longer self-absorbed. Like the Lord said to me this summer, get, to get your eyes off yourself and look at me. The father no longer gazes at himself. He's gazing at his child, this little one, who depends on him and who it is his duty to care for and to bring up to maturity. Now, this takes place in the order of grace in the spiritual realm. And, and uh, so I say little one, you know, but there's, as we know, there's a reality of spiritual paternity, a mystery there, whereby even a 26-year-old priest can really be a, a spiritual father to a 96-year-old parishioner, you know? And how is that possible? Well, it's not possible in the order of nature. There's nothing, there's nothing natural about it. But there's something supernatural about it. Because in the order of the spirit, you see, these biological realities of, of age, and these things don't really apply. 
You can have someone like St. Therese, who was 20, 23, 24 years old when she died, who's a spiritual giant. And uh, I think it's safe to say, although she wouldn't have admitted it in her humility, but she was further advanced in the spiritual life than anyone else in her convent, even the nuns who had been there you know, practically from birth, and now they're in their 70s and 80s. And this little girl uh, was far more advanced in the mysteries of God than they. And so this can happen. This can happen. And spiritual maturity is something different from maturity in the flesh. Everyone reaches maturity in the flesh at a certain point. Simply, it's just physical maturity. It arrives, um, and then you begin your long, slow decline. <laughs> but spiritual maturity is not automatic you have to work for it and so that's why we need spiritual fathers to guide us along the path the right path towards spiritual maturity toward, as St. Paul says toward full manhood in Christ or full womanhood in Christ so that we can be prepared to enter into heaven and to enter into our reward our eternal life with God our whole life on earth is preparation for eternity alright so that's a little taste of what I've been learning about spiritual fatherhood. As you can tell, I get excited about it. I mean, this is my vocation. and It really gives me a lot of joy to think about this. It's also, it's also terrifying in some ways. In some ways. Not that I'm putting too much trust or hope in myself. If I were, then I would run away from this life because there's no way anyone can do it on his own. But the Lord gives us the strength. And it's a beautiful, beautiful life. Really a beautiful vocation. And an incredible gift that God gives us to share in His fatherhood and to be fathers to His children. Now I want to share with you real briefly um, four lessons which I learned this week during this retreat. And I'm going to lay them out for you as concisely as I can. I think probably they're not just applicable to me or to seminarians or priests. They're probably applicable to everybody. So I'm going to try to, to share them with you in a general way. Um, hopefully they'll be useful to you. Number one. Number one is related to what I was just starting to say about trusting too much in myself versus um, trusting in God. You know, we talk a lot about trusting in God. How often do we think about the fact that God is really, is really trusting us with a lot? Now, I'm speaking from the perspective of one who's called to the priesthood. God entrusts his priests with everything. He gives to his priests the power to say, to say certain words by which God binds himself to come down from heaven and lie on the altar again. The words of the priest make Christ present in the world. God gives his priests, as I've said, care over his own children, over his own flock, he entrusts his church, his bride to them. And so he's really trusting us with everything. And so as Father Greg told me in a conversation this week, when I went to him and I was confessing some of my fears about spiritual fatherhood, excuse me, spiritual fatherhood, he told me, he said, it's okay, you know, it's okay that you have these fears. But just think, we talk a lot about trusting in God and just think about how much God is really trusting you and his name's on the line with you his reputation's at stake with you when you go out into the world and people call you father you're sharing in God's paternity 
his reputation is at stake. So don't you think that God is going to give you every gift you need and more in order to be fruitful in this life? And he's right. The vocation that God calls us to, he gives us, he gives us every grace that we could possibly need in order to live it. God doesn't ask the impossible. That's the first lesson. Um, if I could put it more simply, it would be this. Um, God, <laughs> God trusts us with a certain work, a certain vocation. He wants us to fulfill it, and so He will give us the graces to fulfill it well. At the time that we need them, in His own good time. Not necessarily right away. We can't, you know, as one of my brothers was saying, we can't expect to be perfect fathers before we even set foot in, in the arena, so to speak, before we even start living out our paternity. We're going to make mistakes. But God knows that even better than we do. He knows it. He knows who we are. He knows what we're like. So we can't be too hard on ourselves. But we have to trust that God is going to give us everything we need to live this life. Now, number two, related to that, God's love goes before us. God, this is so important. God's love goes before us. He does not love us because we're good. His love is what makes us good. And so sometimes we can think, I can think, that, that we need to live up to a certain level of perfection, a certain standard, if we're going to receive God's love, if we're going to merit His love. And that is so wrong. That is so harmful. That really breaks the Father's heart. No, His love goes before us, my friends. He, God, God delights in us. He loves us simply because we exist. Indeed, we exist because He loves us. You realize that. At every moment, we only continue in existence because God loves us. He's loving us into existence at every moment of our lives. If He ever ceased to love us, we'd, that would be it. Game over. We pop out of existence. We're done. So His love goes before us. Therefore, because His love goes before us, this, in a way, this should set us free. Um, what I mean is, this should set us free from the idea that we need to live up to certain standards in order to be beloved. Now, yes, we need to strive for holiness. But what's the motive? Are we striving for perfection out of a kind of self-will, a kind of like grit your teeth and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do what has to be done because otherwise God won't love me? No. God loves us first. And it's His love that makes us good. And as we persevere in friendship with Him, little by little, His love will conquer our vices. It will heal our wounds. It will be the salve that cures our weaknesses, that imbues us with strength, that fills us with grace, that makes us holy. God alone makes us holy. His love makes us holy. Living in His embrace makes us holy. And so I'll share a little personal anecdote here. Um, I, I mentioned, you know, one of my resolutions for the year is to read all of Shakespeare. Well, the other one is to wake up at 5 a.m. every day. And uh, pretty simple resolution. Now, I'm not saying it's not difficult, but at least it's simple. And I can clearly know each day if I've done it or not. And I have to confess that it's, it's January 10th, so I'm 10 days into the new year, 
and I'm currently at five for 10, 50% success rate. And, um, you know, the first day of the retreat I slept in, I thought, well, it's just, I'm, I'm in silence now so I can sleep really well and I probably needed it. Second day I woke up early, third day of the retreat, I slept in again. And guys, I was, I was on the verge of despair for this tiny thing, not even a sin, okay, but a lack of discipline. And I, and I, the, that whole day I found it difficult to pray till the end of the day when I really bared my heart to the Lord and I confessed to him how I was feeling. And the Lord just reassured me and said, I forgive your weaknesses in this area, you know? Because previously in prayer, towards the end of this last year, this is something that God was inspiring in me, to wake up early every day at the same time every day and dedicate the first hour, hour and a half of the day to prayer before anything else. Well, a cup of coffee first. Like Bishop Sheen said, let them have coffee before meditation. Because the average American is incapable of doing anything before his first cup of coffee, which is true. So coffee first, but then prayer, just, just, just prayer. So the Lord was saying to me, I forgive your weaknesses in this area. I do. But more importantly, it was as if he was saying to me, you need to realize you don't need to live up to any, any kind of standard. You've set this standard for yourself. I'm asking you to do it because it's something good that will help you. I'm not asking you to do it so that I can love you. I'm not saying you need to do this so that you can win my love, so you can earn my esteem, so I can be proud of you. No. My love goes before you. It is my love that will make you capable of doing this and of doing much greater things than this, which I will ask of you in the future as my priest. So live in my love. Persevere in friendship with me. If I could put the second lesson into shorter terms, it would be that. Persevere in friendship with God. His love makes us good. We don't have to be good first before we go to Him. We don't have to live up to a certain standard to win that love. The love is already given gratuitously from the beginning, free of charge. And it, it is that love which will enable us to become great saints. The third lesson is this. As I was talking earlier about the munira, those, those three munira are the, the munira of a priest. Um, I, don't, I, I couldn't. Um, without some preparation, speak to the other vocations. But every vocation has certain munara, you know, which are, which, which are proper to it. Certain roles, obligations, gifts which God gives. And so we need, to, we need to pray to receive them. We need to ask for the gifts. We need to ask, not because God needs to be convinced to give them, but we need to ask so that our hearts can be ready to receive them. This is just a general spiritual truth, you know. We ask not to get God to be good, but to prepare our hearts to receive what He already wants to give. So we need to ask, and ask frequently, to receive these munara. Especially for us priests and for religious, we need to ask also for the gift of chaste celibacy. Ask for it to be given to us. Because no man can live that on his own. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. So we pray for the gift. But then we don't just pray for the gift and then sit around twiddling our thumbs, waiting for some imagined perfect day in the future when we'll be able to live it. We ask for the gift and then, confident that God is giving it, as one priest on the retreat said in his homily, on the penultimate day of our retreat, we pick up the munara and we walk in him. 
<laughs> we start walking. We start living. We start living the life. We start walking the walk. Pick up the Munira, which is a great sentence I think you can only say at a seminarian's retreat, by the way. Although I've made it the title for my podcast. Pick up the Munira. So we pray to receive the gift of the Munus Docendi, for example. The gift of right teaching. And then we start living it. We start teaching now in our spiritual conversations. Our conversations with brother seminarians and with lay people. And for me, for example, in this podcast, I hope this is an area in which I can exercise the munus docendi. And I can begin teaching, and teaching well, as best as I can. And um, the, the, for also the munus regendi, the office of governance. We start exercising that now with what tiny corner of the kingdom God trusts us with. Even if it's just our room at seminary and our car and you know our, we, we, we exercise the munus regendi by ordering our life well cleaning our room by waking up at 5am you know by keeping on top of our studies and finally the munus sanctificandi obviously we cannot yet exercise the sacraments we can't celebrate those but we can exercise this munus in at least one way by intercessory prayer and that leads me into the fourth lesson which I would like to share with you the fourth lesson came about as a response to a prayer which I made to the Lord early on in the retreat. And I was inspired to make this prayer by the Holy Spirit. The prayer was, God, teach me to love in silence. Um, not to love silence. I, I do love silence. I love solitude. I love silent prayer. But teach me to love in silence. That is, well, I, I didn't really know what I meant by it. It just occurred to me, it, you know, as I was saying some as, as I was doing some mental prayer and it was from the Holy Spirit I could tell and I so I, I offered this prayer teach me to love in silence and what it meant was to love the brothers in silence not to let this the silence of the retreat become an occasion of spiritual narcissism uh, a place of, of uh, you know self-absorption like our Lord was warning me against this summer again turning my eyes on myself and becoming self-centered no to let the silence bear fruit in charity, to go out of myself in love for the brothers. But how to do that when we're in silence? We can't talk. Um, you know, I don't know what they're going through necessarily. He answered that prayer for me by inspiring in me a desire to make intercessory prayer for them. And I began to do it at dinner one night. Dinner on a silent retreat is always a bit uncomfortable because you're sitting at a table with all these guys and you're looking at each other can't talk and you can hear the clattering of the silverware and the scraping of the chairs and little like guys chewing you hear all these noises and it's very strange and so at this dinner I was uh, I was moved to start praying for the guys at the table and in my mind I was going around to each one of them praying for them by name and if I knew something about what they might be going through praying praying for them in their struggles invoking their patron saints especially giving thanks to God for the gifts which each one of them brings to our community, which they've given to me through their presence, asking God to reward them for those, and giving thanks for them. And guys, that was so fruitful. And I made a practice of that throughout the rest of the retreat. Whenever, if I was in the meditation chapel with the Blessed Sacrament, if there were some other guys there, I'd be praying for them. Um, if I was sitting at Mass, then in, at the offertory, praying for the other guys sitting on either side of me. And I hope to continue building up this habit all year long. 
because it's a it's it's an incredible remedy against this term I used earlier, spiritual narcissism, against self-absorption. Very often we can become obsessed with our own faults and trapped in the prison of our own minds as we reflect on our own inadequacies and our own weaknesses and failures. And that's where Satan wants us to be, locked away in ourselves, locked out of communion, obsessing over our own faults, and driven into despair. The Lord invites us to trust Him and to go out of ourselves in love. So this is a great way to do it. Loving in silence. Uh, there doesn't have to be anything visible or, or audible or you know externally um, um, noticeable about what you're doing at all. But simply to offer intercessory prayers. So when you detect in yourself a movement towards spiritual narcissism, towards self-absorption, the very best thing you can do is start to pray for somebody else. Whether they're present there to you or they just might occur to you, someone that you know, whether you know they're struggling with something or, or you just want to give thanks for their presence in your life, whatever it may be, let the Spirit lead you, but just go into prayer for that other person. It takes your mind off of yourself. You're really moving out of yourself in love. It's a true movement of love. It's a true um, act of charity. And it's a hidden act of charity, which in some ways is even better than the external acts that everyone can see. Because these hidden acts of charity, they can't become um, like... Uh, um, what would you say, fuel for the fires of pride so easily as the external acts can be. No one need ever know that you've done it until you arrive in heaven. And then that other person you love will get to see all the graces that you merited for them by your prayers and they'll be grateful for it. <laughs> and that'll be a truly a wonderful moment. I often think it'll be one of the great joys in heaven to get there and be able to like see the whole story of your life and to know all the people who were praying for you, who you never knew, and to see the ways that God rewarded those prayers and really gave you graces in difficult moments of trial because of someone you didn't even realize was praying for you. And that's going to be incredible to finally get that insight and understanding. So those are the four lessons I learned from this retreat. Again, there, were, there, was, there was so much good. This retreat was really, for me, a very blessed time. It was a time of incredible renewal and encouragement and stirring up the desires in my heart to live this life, to live it well, to be a good priest, to be a good spiritual father. And so again, those four lessons um, in the shortest possible terms in a, in a way that will be applicable to any vocation. Number one, trust that God will give you the gifts you need in his own time to do the work he's asking you to do because he's trusted you with the work. So trust him to give you everything you need. Number two, God's love goes before us. It doesn't depend on our goodness. Rather, our goodness depends on His love. So persevere in friendship with God. Persevere simply in returning love for love, being a good friend to Him, um, trusting Him with everything in your life. And just trust that He will make you good in, t in time. He will make us the saints He wants us to be. Number three, lesson number three, has to do with picking up the Munira. <laughs> Such a great phrase. And what it means is we pray for great graces from God. We do. And we should pray boldly. We should pray to receive them. Receive all He wants to give us. But then we don't sit around waiting. Yes, we wait on the Lord, but we pray to ask for these graces. And then we start walking in them. We start picking them up. We know by faith that what we ask for that is good, He gives it. And He wants to give it far more even than we want to receive it. So as soon as we ask for the gift, 
He's giving it. And as soon as we ask for the gift, we should pick it up and start walking in it. We'll make mistakes along the way. We'll stumble and fall, yes. God knows it. We know it. But that shouldn't preclude us from making a good beginning. And finally, lesson number four, uh, love in silence. The remedy for spiritual narcissism and self-absorption, which makes us miserable, as the Lord taught me this summer. The remedy is to go out of ourselves in love. And often you can do it in external acts. You can. You should. If you see a brother or a sister in need, then by all means help them. But sometimes we can't. We can't give external manifestation of our love. Maybe because you're on a silent retreat. <laughs> or for various reasons. Maybe it's inappropriate. You never know. It could be anything. But we can always love in silence. And we can always make truly fruitful acts of charity by our intercessory prayer, which is truly powerful. So those are the four lessons that I gained from this retreat. I hope they will be of use to you. On the topic of uh, Shakespeare, I would just say I've read Twelfth Night, and um, that is a very funny and a very strange play. <laughs> if you've never read it, I really do recommend it. And to me, um, the the takeaway I have from Twelfth Night is this, in like in two minutes or less. Twelfth Night is kind of a satire of romantic love. Because you get these... This protagonist, like the, the Countess, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Duke or the Count, whatever, of Orsino, is in love with the Countess Olivia, and, and, he, and, he, and he begins with his famous soliloquy that begins to play with, you know, if music be the food of love, then play on. And he's got these over-the-top soliloquies all throughout the play, professing his love for this woman Olivia, the Countess. And then Olivia, she's sworn off all love because she's in mourning for her brother until the the Duke of Orsino sends her this young page boy, she thinks, who's so beautiful and she falls in love with him and then she's over the top in love and until we get to the end of the play and there's a case of mistaken identity and the page boy is really a girl, uh, Viola, and her brother Sebastian and she were both in a shipwreck and they each think the other's dead and she's disguised as a boy and he's off doing something else and then they, I'm really simplifying this plot here, okay? But in the end, they're reunited, and this whole tangled, naughty, naughty, naughty mess that they've gotten themselves into is all resolved. And then these these people, the Duke and the Countess, and they've been professing this un, undying love for each other, and the Duke keeps, I mean, not for each other, but for the objects of their love. The Duke for her, and then she for Viola, who she thinks is the page boy, Cesario. And so they've got the objects of their love, but they're the wrong objects. And then at the end of the play, when it's revealed, the confusion is revealed and resolved, they just switch the objects of their love. And so they <laughs> then they all get married and everything's resolved happily. But it shows us, you know, it, it, it proves the truth of the proverb, I think. Love is blind, especially eros, romantic love. We can become so obsessed with the object of our love. And then um, in, in a heartbeat, in the twinkling of an eye, then that object shifts to someone new and um, show, shows the fickleness of passion. Passions pass. I should probably put that on a t-shirt. That sounds pretty good. Passions pass. Passions are not a good foundation on which to build anything. Passions are good. Eros is good. God gave it to us. He wrote it into our nature. Eros is that love which attracts us to someone else because we see beauty in them and so we're drawn to them. But we need more than Eros. We need charity. We need caritas which is love which is not primarily attracted to the other to possess them, but which longs for the good of the other, which sees the other as good and so wants what is truly good for them, lacks self-interest, 
It's interested only in the other. And, and, and caritas, that's the love that characterizes a father. And so now I've come full circle, spiritual fatherhood, and I can conclude the podcast in peace. My friends, may God bless you. I look forward to spending this year with you, um, this year in the Lord's embrace, this year celebrating his love and his mercy together, talking to you about theology and Shakespeare and all kinds of good things. So until next week, my friends, may God bless you. May he keep you always in his peace and in his mercy. May he reveal to you his presence in his life, rather, his, his presence in your life in a new and remarkable way during this week. Please pray for me and know that I am praying for you. And I'll talk to you again next Friday. Ex Maria Virgin Dei Gaudete, 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 Ga